This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now let's begin this time by asking God to help us as we engage on these two very um, interesting chapters from Isaiah. Would you pray with me? Oh dear Father, we thank you for your word that always speaks truth and life to us. Father, even as we had a busy week, as we arrive here, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will calm us down to um, engage our minds and our hearts and our will. Father, we know that your word that goes forth never returns empty. So we pray, God, that you bring us back fully uh, into your word. And even as we leave this place, that God will be filled with your strength. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from young, I've never really liked public speaking. If you're an extrovert, perhaps you like it, but I'm not. And I hated public speaking. I'll avoid it like a plague. But for some reason, during my first year in junior college, I was tasked to lead the chapel service uh, of our school, to lead the singing for thousands of people. Most of them are not Christians. Well, I was there and I... Uh, I, I led the songs, I, I, I fumbled on my words, even though I repeated it like a hundred times at home. Anyway, when it was over, I remember right after that first chapel, I said, finally I could quietly slip back into my obscurity, into my science lecture theater with no one to bother me. When suddenly there was this really loud voice shouting from behind the lecture theater saying, Hey, holy man! And suddenly the whole theater burst into laughter. I look around behind and I saw the familiar face of our rugby champ. He's one head taller than the rest, he was greatly feared, and in his time we won the rugby champion. Anyway, as I looked at him and I thought to myself, it became a moment of truth for me, where I had to ask myself, would I want to stand on the stage again to lead people to sing praises to God when they may not want to? Would I praise God because of who He is? Or would I respond because of who I am? Now this morning we come to two passages uh, in the book of Isaiah that sings praises to God. Isaiah begins today's passage as a lone singer. A lone singer praising God for who He is and what God has done. He declares that he will praise God because God has already done wonderful things He promised he would do. Now it was a beautiful praise that comes from recognizing that God is a faithful promise keeper. He always keeps his words from everlasting to everlasting. Isaiah prays that God had promised and he would always fulfill. I wonder if you have ever trust someone like that. That you trust that he will keep or she will keep the promise. Well Isaiah says he will always keep his promise not only because he's willing but because God is able. Now, when God promised the childless Abraham from long ago that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and all nations would be blessed, God kept his words. Now, God multiplied the offsprings of Abraham to become a people Egypt would fear in the time of Moses. And how Abraham's descendants would continue to uh, multiply and become a great nation under King David. And then by the time Solomon came to be king, nations come to hear the wisdom that is from God. 
Now, as Isaiah turned his head back into the future, he could not help but praise God for being a promise keeper. Now, let us not be mistaken at all that Isaiah 25, 26 was written in a time of comfort where everything is good and, and, and the birds are chirping and singing. It is not. Because it was written in a time of great turmoil. Just one chapter earlier, it was speaking about the great devastation that will fall on the earth. In chapters to come, in 11 chapters time, we will be confronted by the great mockery of the king of Assyria who despises Judah and her God. No, but even as Isaiah stood on the terminus ground and time, when he looks back into history, he can only declare his praise to God for his faithfulness to his own name. And because God has been faithful all this while, Isaiah trusts that God will be faithful even as he moves ahead into the future. Nothing could get in God's way. Now I remember when I was in Perth, my kids were just born, and we were in this rented home, and behind the rented home was this vast piece of uh, <laughs> um, wilderness, I like to call it, two basket uh, ball court size um, of dried grass growing in, in, in all this uh, weirdness. And summer was coming and it's dangerous and, and I'm very motivated to, to clear that two basket uh, ball court size dry grass because it's dangerous uh, during summer because you can catch fire and there are snakes and I, I don't want any of that for my kids. But I had no idea how to do a, use a shearer to clear two basket ball court of grass until the locals introduced me to this thing called the lawn mower. So I rented a, I borrowed a lawnmower from the church, I put on the gasoline and run the engine. And in five minutes mowing into the lawn, I knew that nothing would come between me and my angle. Now as Isaiah looked at the mighty hand of God and how the city of God's enemies become a heap of rubble, he says, he knew that God's plan from long ago would come to pass. Because nothing could come between God and His plans. In fact, strong peoples, he says, will honor God. The cities of the ruthless nations, they will revere, they will fear God. Now, it doesn't mean when Isaiah says that they will revere Him, that enemies will always turn from their rejection of God to embrace God. But what Isaiah says is that they will surely tremble at the sound of God's name, just like the dried grass behind our rental home will tremble at the smell of my gasoline and the sound of my green mean machine going straight towards them. Well, until I put the wrong petrol in the second round. But that's another story. But with that coming, nothing can stand in the way. The city of God's enemies will always fall and meets the end of their strength. And as the enemies give way, Isaiah says, God will show mercy and rescue His people. Those who are frightened by the enemies, He will rescue them. Look at verse 4 with me, would you? Isaiah 25 verse 4. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress a shelter from the storm, shade from the heat. You now the enemies that had been a threatening force to the poor and to the needy, power that looked like frightening storm and unquenchable heat, dissolves at the arrival 
of God, they would be silenced by God. Wasn't it God, as Isaiah looked back, that used Gideon and a few small men, a few a small number of men to defeat the, the Midianites who were uncountable, whose camels are uncountable? Wasn't it God who made the people of Jericho who stood behind the high walls of Jericho tremble as the Israelites walked through the dry Jordan River with their trumpets ready to bring it down? Wasn't it God who used that small, young David to destroy the champion of the Philistines? Now, Isaiah recounts how the battle songs of enemies become totally silenced and like a raging heat suddenly cooled by the arrival of clouds, so is the might of God, frightening to the enemies, comforting for his people. Now, in our Singapore humid, hot weather here, now we can imagine this description by Isaiah. Now, while we may um, be in vain if you're out in the heat, trying to use a paper fan to blow us, or the electric fan, or even if you blast the aircon full, at its full volume, in, out in the open, nothing works. But we know what works. Because if God pulls the blind of the clouds over the sun, right away the heat goes down. Right away the raging heat that we fear becomes cool breeze for us. The same goes for Judah. When he hears God... God's rescue and his might coming against the enemies. And so Isaiah, even in times of chaos and threats, when he looks back to see a God whose name is to be praised, he praises him because he is faithful to his promise, he is mighty against the enemies, and he is merciful and caring for his people. Now dear friends, as we just pause and think for a moment, do we praise God? Only when we are comfortable in the moment, when there's no threats. Or do we praise God for who He is from everlasting to everlasting? Is it no wonder that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul repeatedly said to Christians, whether you are young or veteran, he says and he prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will and they will grow in the knowledge of God, and so they will be able to grow in their love for God. Now, indeed, a proper knowledge of God will always result in praise. And that's why the Bible so often calls us to grow, grow in our knowledge of God, and so that we can grow in our love for God. Now, as Isaiah turned from looking at God's character through his actions, he now turns and look ahead into the future, and he finds himself standing on Mount Zion. It's a symbolic place where God reigns as a king. Now, oftentimes a king would hold a great feast to proclaim an announcement of his victory. And so we hear of this great feast by the Lord Almighty in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food, for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Now if you look at it, this is not a modest party with cheap wines or soft drinks. No, it will be a grand feast serving the finest of aged wine and the finest of cuisines, the best of meats. And I'm sure 
organic vegetables for the vegans. You know, the finest of everything. This is not a small party for a few people. No, verse 6, it will be for all peoples, referring to all kinds of peoples who have trusted in the Lord for His faithfulness, who have depended on God for His mighty strength, and who have cried out to God for His merciful rescue. Now the question is, what kind of a rescue has God uh, achieved? Look at verse 7 and then verse 8. On this mountain He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. You know what shroud? Shroud is those barrel cloth that wraps the dead. So God will destroy the shrouds that everyone dreads. That you and I dreads, the sheets that all peoples, regardless of their nationality, will use to wrap the date. Now God has announced He will destroy the burial cloths because verse 8 says this, He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe the tears from all faces. He will remove the, His people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Now if you were be an Old Testament person and you read this, verse 7 and 8 is one of the clearest and startling passages in this Old Testament that speaks of God swallowing up death that we cannot avoid, wiping away tears that we pour out, removing the disgrace that comes from our shameful defeat by our enemies. Now this is a great celebration that comes to us when God returns to the world, says Isaiah. Now, who is the enemy that brings death? The question is, who is the enemy that brings death? Well, this announcement at one level will re- be revealed when God rescued Judah from his enemies um, in Isaiah 36, 37, delivering Judah from the hands of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. But surely Isaiah is prophesying beyond a temple victory that is unrelated to us. Isaiah He is professing a victory that is related to us. Because God is a God that is faithful from everlasting to everlasting, His victory for His peoples will be relevant to you and to me. In fact, it is to deliver us from a greater enemy, the underlying enemy that brings death, and that enemy is sin. Now, again, in New Testament, the Apostle Paul explains this passage this way. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal be with immortality, then the saying by Isaiah that's written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where of death is your victory, where of death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Now, on Mount Zion, that is in Jerusalem, God brings victory over death and over sin. Now, He did this, we know that, by sending the promised king that he planned long ago, the seed of Adam, the descendant of Abraham, the son of King David, who is really the son of God, born of a virgin, wrote Isaiah. 
Now, 700 years after the prophet Isaiah uh, has given this prophecy, Jesus came and he drank God's wrath for us. He ran up to the cross to die for all peoples of all nations, that everyone who comes to him can be saved. Now, anyone who is willing to come to him, there's no one that's too sinful that King Jesus would not die for. There's no one who's too broken-hearted that he will not wipe their tears away. There's no one who has been too shamed in their life because they have been defeated again and again that Jesus will not take up the shame and put it on himself. Now what Isaiah declared in Isaiah 25 verse 8, the Apostle Paul explains, he says, Yes, and God will swallow up death forever. God will destroy the shroud, the burial cloth that wraps the dead. God did that through his son. He was buried three days. He tore off the shroud and he came alive. And the same will go for those who trust in him in the last day. On that day, on Mount Zion, where God is king, he will have his grand banquet because victory is his and his people's. The revelation tells us one day we will celebrate that return. But in that day, writes Isaiah 25, verse 9. Let me see. Read this for us. Writes Isaiah 25, verse 9. In that day, not just Isaiah, but multitudes of singers, in fact, all peoples of all nations who trust in the Lord Almighty, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Dear friends, this grand victory and defeat of sin and death is available to everyone, to you and to me. In case we missed it, if we just look at verse 7 and 8, the invitation is made available to all. Again and again, it says, to all peoples, all nations, all faces, all the earth. No, the invitation is, is broad enough that no one is too broken or too shameful or guilty that they cannot come to God. Not even a criminal hung next to Jesus. But yet, we quickly also see the next thing, that it is not automatic. Those who refuse to acknowledge God, they will not get a share of this salvation. Instead, what awaits is the judgment of their sinful pride, their rebellion against God. And so we read in verse 10, if you look at it, that while those who turn to God finds rest in Him, those who opposes God, represented here by Moab, they will be trampled to the ground, like straw being trampled in a pool of manure. Now try as they might to swim out of it, they just can't swim out of the pool. They will fail, they will drown in their own manure. And dear friends, as we pause here, for a moment, ponder these words of the Lord. What we need to see is this, that God is a merciful God. He offers His mercy to the humble, but God does not to the proud. The offer to enter the city of God to enjoy the great banquet is open to all, but there is this one qualification. It is made available only to those who are willing to come to God. 
It is not available to those who persist in trusting the self or wealth, which we saw last week in Isaiah 23. It's not available to those who say to God, thanks, no thanks, I'm going to swim my way out of death. They will drown. Now one Christian author explains the picture of God's salvation this way. He, he used a coin as illustration. He says there are two sides of the coin of salvation. While perfect celebration awaits those who come back to God, there's a perfect judgment that awaits those who reject God. Because on God's celebration, He cannot be celebrating with people who love Him and people who hate Him. Now, the reality of God's salvation and judgment means that everything, it means everything to our world. Now, the reality is this, if there's no God and there's no hope beyond death, there's really no significance to your life or to my life. You know, what we do now makes no difference to where we go and it makes zilch difference to the next generation or to our children. If there's no God, there's no salvation and judgment. Nothing matters. But if there is a God, everything does. Now, as I look ahead and he prays God, we are likewise called to do the same. Is, is there death ahead because of our sin? Well, I know that death is ahead for me. How about you? Are there tears from sorrows that overwhelm us? Do you have tears? Is there shame internally and externally? Because of mockery thrown to us by the devil, by the world's Goliaths, by flesh, internal shame because of failure, of sin defeating us. As we look in the future with faith, we can lift our voice to God and praise Him because one day He will come and have victories over all of this. It matters because nothing we've done in the past that God cannot forgive. And the failures that we trip ahead as we hold on to Him, looking to Him, that He cannot claim on the cross for us. It makes all the difference that we can look forward to the God who never changed from everlasting to everlasting. Now the question then is, how shall we live as we wait for the Lord's salvation? As our eyes turn now to the land of Judah in chapter 26, we then hear the description of the righteous peoples who keep faith. They do not trust physical war for protection. Rather, verse 1 of 26 says, they see God as their wall of salvation. And then we read on verse 24, 2 to 4. 2 to 4, it says, Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter. The nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. No, as the faithful trust God as the rock eternal, God grants them peace. No, unlike King Ahaz who refused at the beginning of Isaiah to trust God when God says, ask me for any sign, I'll show you. And says, thanks but no thanks. The righteous, Isaiah says, they trust in God and in God alone rather than political powers or the riches of the world. No, as they trust in God, they can trust that God will make their path level. What it means is that God will bring them home. And so in verse 8 to 11 of chapter 26, we hear how the faithful loves God's law and so they walk in the way of God's word and they will persevere 
amidst the judgment that may come upon this world, whatever the circumstances, they will wait patiently for his rescue. They will wait patiently for his rescue. In fact, not only do they seek to walk in obedience externally, internally, their hearts long for God, for, for their king to finally arrive. Look at verse 8b and 9. It's a beautiful way that the faithful cries out. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Now, as those who love God, their desires are not the gifts, but the giver himself. They long for God's name to be glorified. You know, in the classic Beauty and the Beast movie, there was a merchant who had three daughters. Two of them really just want their father's wealth, and one of them, Belle, loves the father. There was the news that the father's lost ships were found, and the father was heading to the city. And the two daughters were asking for jewelries, for clothing, for all kinds of things. The third daughter, Belle, just wants dad to be home. And when insisted by the dad to ask for something, she said, just get me a rose. What does that mean? It also means that when the rose arrives, dad arrives. Her longing was for her dad. Now, those who wait for God's return longs for God himself. Verse 9, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. There are the inward desires of those who have faith in God to long for God. Isn't that what King David sang repeatedly again and again in the Psalms that we love? This is what King David sang in Psalm 63 verse 3. He says, to God, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. And that famous Psalm, Psalm 73, verse 25, the psalmist says, David says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Dear friends, how is your desire for God? Do you desire for the kingdom or do you desire for the king who comes? Because if you desire for the king to come, make no mistake, the king's kingdom is perfect and there's no imperfection in his arrival. The, the, the things we enjoy in the kingdom are merely the fruits of the presence of the king. Do we love the gifts or do we love the giver even more? The faithful longs for the king. So how do the faithful wait for God's return? The Song of Judah unpacks it for us. In chapter 26, they acknowledge and depend on God as the rock. They walk in obedience, even persevere in trials as they wait for him. And they long for God because he's faithful, mighty, and caring. And they know that all this, even in times of turmoil, and troubles because they can always look back and see God never changes and His goodness never fails. So look at verse 12 to 13. As they look back to their history past now, verse 12 says this, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. By your name alone do we honor you know, the people of Israel knew other lords who have ruled over them. They knew lords. Pharaoh was the lords who ruled over them for years and years. 
They know the laws in the day of judges. The Philistines now the overshadowing shadow of the power of the Assyria Empire. They knew other lords, but it is the Lord God they will honor. And dear friends, even as we look back to our past, we have more to look at than even Isaiah and faithful. Because when we look back, we see God's faithfulness, God's might, God's mercy on the cross itself. What Isaiah looks back was their history, but when we look back, we see the cross there being fulfilled again by the Lord God. You know, even as we flip the news and we read about Christians all over the world, we, we, we run out of time to read of news where lords are lording over Christians. Just last week, I was taking a look at this, we read of Christians being seized by police while teaching pastors in Nepal. Uh, it matters to me because I've got a good friend in Nepal. His wife is delivering this week. Now, and I report of police ordering closure for church buildings in Egypt. Now, what happened in the time of Isaiah continues even today. But to the faithful, their cry to God is this, your name alone do we honor. Now, if it's not enough, if that is not enough, Isaiah put in one of the most amazing revelations about faith in God. He says that those who die waiting for the Lord, they would not die in vain. For God can even raise the dead to life. And so Isaiah says this. This is amazing in Old Testament. Look at this, verse 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. As Isaiah looked at the turmoil around his world, he looks and trusts in God. He looks forward and knows God is coming. He knows even the dead will rise when they trust in you. What Isaiah prophesied long ago became that reality for us in Jesus 700 years after Jesus, there's another prophet. His name was John, John the Baptist. He was in prison because he was preaching about God and repentance. He heard about Jesus, uh, who's his cousin. He sent his disciples, go and ask Jesus who he is. And this is what Jesus says, Luke 7.22. Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And later Jesus said to a woman by the name Martha who was grieving over the death of her brother Lazarus. And this is what Jesus said, and we say that at every funeral. John 11.25 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? And we say the same at every funeral, Christian funeral. Do you believe this? You know what? If Isaiah was there, and those who are faithful in Isaiah 25, 26 were there, they would say, yes, Lord, we believe it. Isaiah said, and that's what I've always been prophesying. Now, dear friends, we too are living in a time of waiting. We are waiting for the day of salvation or judgment. Some people are waiting for death. But will we, like Isaiah, will we, like the faithful, 
hold fast to God's character and praise God? Will we hold on to His promise to destroy death? Will we hold fast to God's promise of resurrection when life throws that spanner at you and at me? Will we have faith today to worship only God when we are tempted to worship the lords of this world, be it political, be it financial, be it cultural, be it relational, be it powers that compete for loyalty, be it that voice that laughs at you when you try to praise your God. Isaiah writes in a time of turmoil, for the reality is this, that waiting faithfully for God is never a bed of roses. It is a lie. If someone tells you waiting for God is easy, it is not easy because as long as God's judgment has not come, the enemies are giving their best shot until they run out of time. It is never easy to wait and praise God. But will we praise God? Will we be those who are faithful? A day will come when all who are guilty before God will be destroyed. And this is how Isaiah 26 ends. And I want to end off by looking at these last two verses for us. Isaiah 26, verse 20 and 21. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no longer. This is actually a familiar picture because like the days of Exodus, when the angel of death passes the doors of the Israelite and into the land of Egypt, death comes in. And here Isaiah says, a day will come again, but this time around God is the one who is going to pass through. And death will come on all who are sinful in this world. Only those who hide behind the wooden frame of God, those who hide behind the wooden frame that's splattered with blood, that say it has been paid for, that death will pass by. Isaiah says, hide for a little while. Hide for a little while. Because when death passes, because it has been paid for you, you will come and you will celebrate in the kingdom of God on Mount Zion. Now, dear friends, we are living in a time with um, all kinds of issues. You and I, we live different experiences where different issues and challenges today. Some of you, some of us, may face challenges or struggles that are difficult and, and trying. And perhaps there will be more challenges, even threats and mockeries ahead, that if we know, they will be frightened to death now. More may come. But what would frighten us in the future? Would we look at Christ and say, regardless, I will still praise Him who never changed, who has promised a future and His lawnmower will ride through the world and His time. We just follow behind and keep trusting Him. Will we praise Him in all circumstances, will you praise Him for His faithfulness, His might, His care, His mercy for us? I'm not sure about your circumstances, where you're at. But however difficult it is, will you be willing to praise Him? Because here's the thing, and let me close this way, that those who can praise God today 
regardless of our situation, we are really revealing that we are trusting in God. We praise God with me as we pray. Father, you are God who sees everything, but you also know that we are people with visions that are not too far. But Father, you have given us your word in the Bible. We have words like Isaiah that reminds us of who you are, your character in the past, who you have been. God, we even have the New Testament that shows us that God, your plans of long ago has been fulfilled wonderfully in Christ. And there's just a little bit left. But will we look forward to your return? Will we praise you? Father, help us. Help us to praise you when the going gets tough. Help us to praise you and not forget you when the going is easy. Help us to praise you even now so that when we are ready to give our last breath, that we can also praise you and look forward to the day that we will celebrate with aged wine or finest feast because you have destroyed the shroud of death. And that day we will all shout and praise, Death, O death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? We have Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.